Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. I don't think Secretary Mayorkas really understands what's going on at the border at all. It is my take, based on his commentary, I'm not so sure he is engaged the same way rational people need to be. And I say this because he's a man who is convinced that somehow everything is just fine. The Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, wants to tell you, wants you to believe that everything at the border is going swimmingly. We inherited a broken and dismantled system that is already under strain. It is not built to manage the current levels and types of migratory flows. Only Congress can fix this. Yet, we have effectively managed an unprecedented number of non-citizens seeking to enter the United States What is your definition of effectively managed? And why are you still talking about a broken system? It's been over a year. It's been your system, your policies, your procedures, your philosophies. Why do you keep doing this to us? What is this gaslighting? We caught you in bed with another woman. Stop telling us it wasn't you. Tony Katz, so good to be with you. Tony Katz today, how is everything going, everybody? Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, that's where you find us. The phone number, 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. He is scheduled to be with us in a little bit as we get into this, this Schumer insanity. Pure, unadulterated insanity from Chuck Schumer that the way to handle inflation, raise taxes. If you want to get rid of inflation, the only way to do it is to um, undo a lot of the Trump tax cuts and raise rates. No Republican is ever going to do that. So the only way to get rid of inflation is through reconciliation. There is a theory that one could work with, and I'm going to let Dr. Matt Will break this down about what raising taxes would do. But I could blow that theory out of the water in seven seconds, and I will. We'll get to that in a little bit. This is an unseriousness about the border. It's an unseriousness when you take a look at the idea of lifting Title 42, even though there was a judge uh, who uh, said, no, we're going to keep this in place, a lawsuit from a multiplicity of attorneys general. We're going to keep this in place for now, or at least parts of it for now. And Title 42 isn't immigration law. It allows for the deportation of people coming into the country or or they don't even, you don't even have to wait for them to sit through an asylum hearing. You just send them back based on a, a health risk to the country. So the health risk was COVID, right? Health risk was COVID, and therefore we could send people back. And now you have these people saying, well, COVID, it's... It's, it's, it's over, it's fine, except, of course, they still want you to wear a mask and they still want you to be uh, boosted, right, and, 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 and vaccinated. You have the vice president, Kamala Harris. She got COVID. This is somebody who is boosted, who is boosted twice, who wears two masks a day. Two masks a day at a time, I should say. Two, two masks at a time every day. 
and she still got COVID. I, I will give it up. I'll give it up for Jimmy Fallon. He had the good line, man. Thankfully, Harris is feeling good and will remain isolated just like she has since taking office. <laughs> that joke is damn funny. I, I, I give it the respect that it deserves. That joke is damn. I'm only sorry I had not considered, uh, I had not created that joke as well. I need another team of, of writers. I need a much larger team of writers. When you lift Title 42, you will see an increase in migration. With the Title 42 public health order set to be lifted, we expect migration levels to increase as smugglers seek to take advantage of and profit from vulnerable migrants. We will continue to enforce our immigration laws. After Title 42 is lifted, non-citizens will be processed pursuant to Title 8, which provides that individuals who cross the border without legal authorization are processed for removal and, if unable, to establish a legal basis to remain in the United States, promptly removed from the country. The problem is 5818. That's the problem. 5818. The United States is set up to handle 5,000 people at the border each and every day. Right now, we get 8,000 people at the border each and every day already strained. You lift Title 42, you will get 18,000 people a day, 500,000 people a month coming to the border. It's untenable. So anything that Secretary Mayorkas engages here, any conversation he engages that talks about handling things or, or talks about how we're going to, the system's going to work, the system cannot work. It is an absolutely horrific, shameful spot to put Border Patrol in, to ask them to do what simply cannot be done, which is Engage a, a proper measuring of this situation. This uh, was from Congresswoman, who's the, I forget who she is. Uh, the, the, well, I forget even what the committee this is. Who asked the question, I think asked the question proper. And he answers that it's going to strain our capabilities if we don't have Title 42. Um. I would like to go back to uh, the impact of Title 42. And my question has to do with how you will uh, process 18,000 migrants per day while keeping uh, time in custody below the 72 hours and still be able to ensure due process without compromising uh, necessary vetting. Congresswoman, um, uh, Madam Chairwoman, um, uh, the the 18,000 is not projected. As I, as I mentioned, we just um, built that scenario so that we can plan for different scenarios. With all due respect, if that's the number you put out there, then that's the number that you're planning on. That, just so we're clear, don't tell us we can't now utilize a number that you put out there. The question came from uh, Lucille Roy Ballard. Uh, she's a congresswoman out of California, a Democrat. Uh, 435 of them. I'm pretty good with most. Every now and then, someone slips right through. But how dare... This is, this is the whole point about the level of seriousness that he doesn't have. 
You put out the number 18,000 and then tell me I can't utilize the number 18,000 that you're discussing of what the increase in migration may be? Stop it. Unserious. This is the problem. Unless, of course, you go to somebody uh, like uh, uh, Pramila Jayapal, uh, who heads up the Progressive Caucus in, in the House, and she'll tell you that all this, Trump's fault. And, you know, and I wonder why so much criticism of, you know, people have to go to the line, to the back of the line, to the front of the line. They shouldn't be when there is no way of getting in a line to request asylum into the United States. Then the only option people have is to rush in towards the border area, because that's the only way that they can think they can at least try to knock on the door and ask for asylum. Yet that's not possible yet, Congresswoman. So that's MSNBC, who has a very, very skewed version of what's going on uh, at, at the border. You could start by not coming to the country illegally. You could start by coming through a port of entry. You could start by engaging a level of paperwork. And if you say to me, we need to change the level of paperwork, we need to make it an easier system, I'm fine with that. Down with immigration... Love legal immigration. Oppose illegal immigration with everything in me. It must be fought everywhere. And people like Pramila Jayapal don't believe in fighting it. They believe in open borders. This is what Ocasio-Cortez believes. This is what the squad believes. This is what Bernie Sanders believes. This is who they are. They want the open border. Uh, Not because I say so. Not because, oh, Tony, you conservative. Because they say so. How does Pramila Jayapal answer this question? The congressman from Washington State. That's exactly right. And, you know, I've been to the border so many times. Um, I've been to Tijuana. I've been uh, all across the border. And what I see and the reason we're seeing this, these large numbers is because for the last many years under the previous administration, we stopped all the legal ways for people to come into this country. That is just outrageous. And we have to recognize. I I would like for someone to tell me, help me through. What is it that was stopped? What what was stopped for coming into the country legally? If you tell me, Producer Ari, it's too difficult, maybe you and I could agree on that. But she's the member of Congress who can fix it. So you, me on the radio as a host, you on the radio as a producer, we can discuss this. Why don't they do something about it? Again, goes back to the level of seriousness or lack thereof. My argument remains the same in the Trump administration as it does now. The politicos that we're discussing here want immigration and illegal immigration as a subject for division and power rather than to finish it, to solve the problem, to get it out of the way, to create a new plan, a better plan, a new philosophy, a new theory. The issue is more important than solving the issue. This is very much... A, a, a Israel-Palestinian uh, uh, conversation. When the Palestinians were offered under Yasser Arafat and others, here's your land, here you go, here's the peace deal, and it was denied because Palestine as cause is far more valuable to the powers that be than Palestine as state. Because Palestine as state, now you got to actually go about governing yourself and leading your, li- your life. And the first thing they did, they voted for Hamas. And they regret it ever since. And even when they push back against this terrorist organization, they're the ones who get killed. 
Hamas is the enemy of free and thinking people. And if Rashida Tlaib would say that first, foremost, and often, without going for an attack on Jews because, you know, it's fun, maybe we'd get somewhere. So what we have here from Pramila Jayapal, what we have here from the political left, what we have here in general, is this unwillingness to deal with the issue as it is. Because that's not the goal. The goal is the divisiveness. And while you are divided, well, then you just let people into the country because after all, it's a humane thing to do. Thus my statement, backed up by the data of what we just shared, that it is clear to me that the political left, or at least the progressive left, is absolutely fine, 150% fine with open borders. Because that's exactly what she's telling me. Recognize that seeking asylum is a, it is covered under our international human rights obligations. We have asylum laws that should not be superseded by some public health title that doesn't even make sense to start with and certainly doesn't make sense now. And for the I got asked yesterday, I was on uh, News Nation, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more, Leland Vitter, that there was a, a member of Congress who believed we should keep Title 42 in place because, right, that's about the public health. Title 42 is about uh, deporting people because of, of some communicable disease like, like COVID. And they said, well, also there's diseases like measles and all sorts of things. And uh, Leland Vitter, the host, made the point to me that maybe you shouldn't be, you know, you're not winning many people over by pushing the idea that uh, someone's bringing in measles. And I said, well, it's at least honest. And our problem is that we have zero honest conversation about the border. Instead, we have people like Representative Jayapal who want to make the claim that all these people are seeking asylum. They're not asylum seekers. Refugees are people who can't go back home because they will get killed or where they came from doesn't exist anymore. Everybody else is a migrant. The vast majority of people coming to the border are migrants, not refugees. Yet people like Pramila Jayapal, who believe in open borders, want to treat everybody like a refugee, abusing the system, teaching people to lie, to engage this refugee status, and therefore hurting us in the process. We're no longer a sovereign nation with a sovereign border. We just have to say yes because refugee status, because of some international human rights that she thinks is somehow superseding of the Constitution of the United States of America. This is about a fundamental difference in how we view the world and the nation and society writ large. That's what we have here. The difference between us, myself and maybe you and and, and Representative Jayapal, is that my view ensures there's a nation that endures. Her view eliminates the nation. Somehow, she thinks she'll still get your tax dollars, though, though because right, like that's, that's, that's the part that matters. It's all possible if you just give a little bit more. More to get to. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. Over there at NBC, they decided to celebrate this Jeopardy champion. They got the, on. oh, look at the, what they're doing. As a matter of fact, they're, they've the most money ever won, ever, by a, uh, by a contestant from Canada. 
Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, everybody? Uh, so, so what they've got is this story, and they put out right there the 23-year-old lesbi- lesbian tutor from Toronto has amassed a total of $320,081, the most by a Canadian contestant in Jeopardy history. That is how NBC News puts out the tweet. No name. They don't care about the person's name. They only care that they are a lesbian tutor. I guess, you know, tutoring lesbians is a is a pretty big business. <laughs> That's pretty funny, Tony. Well, I try my best. I like that one. They're the ones who wrote it. They don't care. They don't care at all about this woman, about her life, about her history, about how she got the knowledge to do so well in Jeopardy. They only care that she's a lesbian. How much did she win? Three, three, I said 300000 That's pretty good. 320000 That's a good amount of coin. That's a good amount of cash to win on Jeopardy. It's very impressive. She's a story. Maybe we should learn all about her. Nope. They couldn't care about this woman at all. What matters is that we immediately know whatever it is, whatever box it is that they have to fill. However it is they have to check the box, that's the only thing that counts. When you live your life to be uh, to be woke, when you live your life to do nothing more than check boxes for approval's sake, you, you lose your humanity. That, that, uh, again and again and again and again we see that. So here it is. NBC embarrassing themselves and reducing this woman and her accomplishments to who she sleeps with. That's it. Her accomplishments don't matter. Her mind doesn't matter. Who does she share a bed with? That's what matters. That's what the people want to know. That's the headline, baby. It proves we care. Chuck Schumer's got an idea. The senator from New York says raise taxes to end inflation. Is he right? I don't believe so. Economist Matt Will is going to break it down for us. I've got a theory. I'll share it with you. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. Facebook, Tony Katz Radio. Rumble, Tony Katz. If you want to get rid of inflation, the only way to do it is to um, undo a lot of the Trump tax cuts and raise rates. No Republican is ever going to do that. So the only way to get rid of inflation is through reconciliation. The only way to get rid of inflation is through tax increases and reconciliation. Everything that he wants. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, rumble.com uh, slash Tony Katz. That's, uh, that's where you go and you, and you check out the videos and the morning rumble and everything else that we do. I got to tell you, this, this is a whole bunch of madness right here. When I heard him say it, I mean, I, I screamed. I screamed when I heard Chuck Schumer say this. And, and I said, that's, this, is, this, this is silly. This this is ridiculous. This is uh it's embarrassing. It really is. It really is to hear him make this claim about taxation and inflation.
If you want to get rid of inflation, the only way to do it is to um, undo a lot of the Trump tax cuts and raise rates. No Republican is ever going to do that. So the only way to get rid of inflation is through reconciliation. So I said to myself, well, before I get ahead of myself, why don't I check the thesis? Because I thought of what someone could say and I thought of what my response would be. But what if there's a response after that? Dr. Matt Will joins us right now, economist from the University of Indianapolis. Uh, You have now heard this commentary uh, from (laughs) Chuck Schumer, the senator from New York, the Senate Majority Leader. He's so excited. Too bad the job won't last that long. The question before us, Dr. Will, is, is he right? The way to fight inflation is to raise taxes? Okay, let me just say, the, quote, only way is a absolute 100 percent complete lie. And that is false. And there's not even the most liberal economist in the world would agree with that statement. That is wrong. But there is a grain of truth in what he's saying. And let me explain. It's not that it's not that hard. We've talked before, Tony, about inflation occurs because there's more cash, but not more stuff. Well, right. the way you get more cash is the Fed by quantitative easing or by the government by deficit spending. So when the government deficit spends, they monetize the debt that causes inflation. So they print money to deficit spend. So the only correct thing he said is that if they increase taxes and, this is an important and, Tony, this is an important and, and they cut the deficit in doing so, that might reduce inflation because they're reducing the amount of cash. But Tony, it's an important thing here. If they increase taxes, there may be more less stuff in the economy. Companies will have less money. They'll produce less product. There'll be less economic growth. So it's a double-edged sword. Yes, lower deficits could could decrease inflation. But also How, a shrinking economy will increase inflation. So so I, I got myself into the, the one-two punch as, as follows. The government that put more money into the economy now wants to tax the people to take the money out of the economy, but we still deal with the inflationary pressures because those rates don't come down instantaneously and the dollar becomes more valuable and has more buying power. That happens over time. So the suffering is now twofold of the American people because of the mistake of the federal government believing that they can spend their way into prosperity, and the answer is always write a, 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 another check, right? That's, that is what, what I saw from this and the other part of it is if government spending is the problem because that's what's putting too much cash into the system and they don't address the spending but they now take more tax dollars doesn't that lead to them engaging more spending and exacerbating the problem exactly tony because when i read the report about mansion and schumer and their negotiations all the other democrats are weighing in saying oh good we'll increase taxes and increase spending tony why are they playing, playing the shell game the solution simple. Stop spending. <laughs> Forget about increasing taxes. Just stop spending. Stop and the junkie should st- just stop doing meth, sir. See? It's just that easy. <laughs> we sh- how many more problems could we solve today, Dr. Will? <laughs> junkie, stop doing meth. Government, stop spending. Boom. Done. Who wants lunch? Who wants tacos? Tacos? Tacos for everybody. You can't get them to stop spending. The question is, why doesn't anybody present this reality to Senator Schumer? Uh, well, you, that's that's beyond my expertise. But I can tell you, his his the shred, the, the the small seed of truth is that if we can cut the deficit, we will decrease inflation. But that he's doing it the wrong way. 
there is no way in this world that they will increase taxes and not also increase spending at the same time. Talking to Dr. Matt Will. Sorry, for, let me just get to this. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. I want you to expand on what you just said there. But first, let me share with you how much this theory is moving around the Democratic Party. This is Connor Lamb from Pennsylvania, a candidate now for Senate. Listen to him. And that's where we have to talk about the costs we can control and the fact that we're trying to raise taxes to shrink the deficit, which is an anti-inflationary measure. They're very proud of the idea that they want to raise taxes. This isn't something that was a shot in the dark from from Senator Schumer. This clearly is a talking point that they're now going to try and move across the country as if they are the arbiters of sound fiscal policy. But I want you to get back to what it is you were saying, sir. Yeah, the, the, the quote that you just played is correct. It says if we increase taxes and shrink the deficit, we could decrease inflation. That's possible, Tony, but it's only possible because as soon as you increase taxes, you shrink the economy. So the deficit may shrink, but the economy will shrink also, which causes inflation. The only way to guarantee the inflation cut is to cut spending. Cut the spending and you will decrease inflation. It's that simple. So we know that that's not going to happen, but we also have heard, and I'll be digging into this in the next hour, uh, that Joe Biden is considering very aggressively putting an end to student loans, uh, to, to forgiving a tremendous number of student loans into the billions uh, of dollars. You work, of course, at the University of Indianapolis. Uh, undoubtedly, there would be students overjoyed to learn that they no longer have a loan and they no longer have to live up to the responsibility of the decisions uh, that they've made. But as an economist, you take a look at these billions of dollars, these loans don't get forgiven. They get paid by the federal government. That ha- The money comes from somewhere, which means the money came from the taxpayers who made, may have made decisions, for example, not to go to college. How, what does that do to an inflationary market? It causes its spending again, Tony, to, to alleviate the debt of the students, which, by the way, I pulled my students last night. They love the idea. <laughs> I am shocked, sir. I am stunned. I didn't know there was dancing in this establishment. Gambling in the stop. I said dancing. I'm a gambling. Good Lord. But so, of course, they're happy with it. But exactly. Right. Tony, it's spending. When you relieve the debt, when you forgive the debt of the students, that is more government spending that causes inflation. But, Tony, there was a there was a, a secret word in Schumer's quote. He said, we'll solve this through reconciliation. Reconciliation means it goes to a conference committee and the conference committee. We all know what's going to come out of a conference committee. More spending. Yes, he'll get his tax increase, but there's going to be more spending. There will be forgiveness of student loans. There will be more social welfare programs. There will be a minimum income. This will end in spending, Tony. It is not going to end in less deficits and smaller government. People commenting that inflation has not touched Pelosi's Jenny's ice cream. It's still only $12 a pint. And that argument is one that even Fed members have made that – it, it, it's like this, this all of a sudden, this mass realization that inflation affects the poor. People who have the money, they still have enough dollars in, in, in the cushion to be able to either handle the luxuries or live without those luxuries, but well handle the necessities. But if you are somebody who can't handle the luxuries and fight to handle the necessities, the inflation is absolutely destructive. So it, it, it would go to reason 
that nobody is going to appreciate a tax increase because it would happen on more than just the rich because all these things, they, they trickle down everywhere. They will continue to trickle down. And it was Joe Biden who said the other day that he's not a fan of trickle-down economics. It, it never trickled down on his head. Uh, trickle-down economics work for you, sir? You know what? I don't like the phrase trickle-down economics. Um, I, I just don't like that phrase because it's kind of a catch-all phrase um, that deals with the supply side of things. And supply-side economics is valid. It, it is legitimate. But the trickle-down, I don't know that I like that phrase. So I'll, I'll take a pass on that one, uh, Counselor. Well, look, you're not you're not on, on trial right here talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of, of, of Indianapolis. Um, but we see that the spending has no end, right? The spending has no no limit to it. I watch the markets like like you do, and, and certainly I, I watch more maybe local markets, things that happen in my beloved Indianapolis and surrounding areas, uh, some of the places where, where we're heard in, in Atlanta and in Tulsa, uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, about what's going on. Um, but it, we, we certainly have seen the, the, the stock market, not necessarily indicative of, of uh, Main Street, right? Midwest Main Street and Wall Street are two very different things. We've seen the markets take hit after hit after hit. Um, do these hits have a cumulative effect? Is there a moment that you see where the market's going down, worried about the inflationary pressure, worried about uh, recession? We heard from this, the uh, head of Bank of America uh, talking uh, with Maria Bartiromo, here it is right here, saying that he does not see recession in 2022. Really optimistic in that we believe growth in the next couple of years as a company and, and everything we see supports that. So do you think we'll see a recession this year or not? I don't think so. Not this. I mean, you know, got, it's got to be two quarters and you're almost through two and it hasn't happened yeah, yet. So, let's just, so the idea is it'll be out there. But, you know, this was the idea is it'll be out there. Is the market getting yeah. ready for a recession? And should America be preparing? Uh, the market's already prepared for the recession. You've seen the market decline. I mean, we have a significant decrease this year, percentage-wise. It's already factored in inflation, and it's already factored in a possible recession. But let me mention possible recession. It's you know the odds are much better. I've predicted that we're going to have a recession now for the last probably few months we've been speaking, and it's not going to be this year because he's right. There's not enough quarters. It's going to be postponed till after the election because of what the government is doing in regards to increasing rates at a slow enough rate so that the harmful effect occurs later. And when it happens, Tony, it's going to be worse. If we did it now and we took our medicine, we'd be through it quickly. The more we put it off, the more painful it'll be. It will occur. My guesstimate, the market is estimating about a 50 percent right now. It was 30. I think there are about 50 percent chance of recession. Tony, when that hits closer to 100, you're going to see the market drop more. Dr. Matt Will, economist, University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more coming up. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. and three out of four. Those are the latest numbers. And those are the numbers of the amount of kids, three out of four, who have had COVID. And 58% of America, 58% of America has natural antibodies. But that's a February, meaning that number is higher. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. How are we doing? 833, got Tony. That is the number. 833-468-8669. I'm just saying out loud that we have come to an understanding 
in society that we're okay with COVID. It's not deadly like it was. We're moving on. We, 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 we're, we're there. We're clear. We're through. We're done. We're finished. I'm going to get into more of this, but I thought those numbers were really, really important. But we shared this story yesterday from this BBC journalist. Hi from America, he writes, where Walmart doesn't have a plug adapter for my UK laptop, but on the other hand, I can buy a rifle and ammunition. And I had responded without even thinking it's because some things are important, some things aren't. What's more important? Walmart has an adapter for a UK plug or Walmart has the ability for me to buy an AR-15. I'm going to go the AR-15 route. But we started looking at it, and and I've often said I'm a Second Amendment guy. I'm not a gun guy. And so I had to take a look at the other ones with a little more clarity. But the minute I said, because he posted a picture, and one of the photos of his rifles was a Red Ryder carbine. The minute I said Red Ryder carbine, producer Ari's like, it's a BB gun. that's, That's a Christmas story. You'll shoot your eye out, kid exactly what it's from they all are they're all they're all bb guns so at 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 the top line this guy's tweet is so is so perfectly european and i want to make sure i say it again as clear as day the europeans do not have the right view of firearms they don't have the right view of personal safety they don't have the right view of free speech They don't have the proper view. uh, They don't have the proper concept. And it's because uh, they're the Europeans. They're not us. And I would argue, without any level of fear, uh, they're they're not as good as us. They're not. To, To actually believe that guns are bad, to actually believe that the issue is the firearm and not the person, well, that's, that, that's just silliness. That, 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 is, that is ignorance that simply has, has no place in, 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 in the society. But the, you know, the, the, the photo itself, he didn't know. All he saw was something that looked scary to him and took a picture. Does he not notice that the Red Rider... Uh, Cardboard, right? The box that the that that the BB gun comes in looks like a freaking cartoon. Did he not notice this? And stop and say, wait, wait, what am I looking at here? Nope. Saw something that was scary and went, ooh, that's scary. And then decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna attack them Americans. We don't feel attacked. We think you're a fool. We certainly think you're a fool for not taking a look at the um, at the firearm itself and realizing it's a BB gun. And we think you're a fool from, from the top-line statement. You think your plug matters. I want every store in America to have a full line of firearms and ammunition. That's what I want. You walk into a jewelry store, firearms and ammunition. You walk into a mechanic shop, firearms and a- ammunition. Milkshake, firearms and ammunition will always be a more sensible purchase in conjunction with a milkshake than a plug that will take my UK outlet and make it a US outlet always 
Always, 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 always. As a matter of fact, I dare anybody to tell me when it won't be. Oh, sure, you can find one like this guy right here. But that's not a business model now, is it? Not at all or in any way. Lesson learned, man. Meanwhile, find us on Facebook, Tony Katz Radio, rumble.com slash Tony Katz. Always a pleasure, guys. We've got more. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.